Hi there, this is Hour 3 of Talk the Town. I'm Jim Chapman. Joining me in the studio as they do this time every week, Jeffrey Schlemmer and Robert Metz. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Pleasure to have you here, as always. This is the part of the program we call Left, Right, and Center, wherein Mr. Schlemmer takes a position that generally reflects the general views of people who are generally on the left, and Mr. Metz generally takes the general position of people who are generally on the right, and I'm generally somewhere in the middle. Does that make sense? Not at all. <laughs> well, that's part of the show, too. with it. That's part of the show, too. Uh, you gentlemen have indicated to me that you thought it might be uh, interesting and somewhat germane to the earlier part of the show today to take a look at the Ontario Human Rights Commission. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Robert Metz, because you've had some dealings with it. Uh, Mr. Norton, when he was here this morning, seemed to be a man of eminent good sense. Uh, he was very affable. He seemed to be well informed about the role of his commission. He pointed out that the commission itself is distinct from the uh, adjudicating body and that the body he's involved with, although they take a lot of the heat for what people seem or see as what's wrong with this whole process, that in fact all they do is kind of recommend the cases on to the board of inquiry and so on and so on, and seem to imply at least that, uh, that many of the misconceptions about the whole role of the Human Rights Commission may be misdirected. Uh, you've been there. You've been in, fr in front of the commission and the, the board of inquiry, or whatever they call it. Um, how, how do you feel about what he said? I, well, fundamentally, I can say I probably disagreed with every word that he uttered. Mm -hmm. um, if ever there was, uh, you know, the black hole of uh, Human Rights Com Commission logic and doublespeak from which no light can ever escape, uh, Mr. Norton was a perfect example of it. Um, one of the first things I learned when I got involved in a human rights case was you had to learn the language of the commissioners and what they're saying. I mean, to blatantly come out and say, oh, we don't find people, this is not a criminal offense. Well, no, yeah. he didn't say they didn't, well, well yeah, he yes, did he say did. find them. Yes, he, yeah. he, he actually emphasized that. Yeah. And, and that, you know, there's no punitive fines. No one ever goes to jail. It's not a criminal matter. Um, this is patently false in the real world, but, th but in his way of thinking, in his language, he has put, put that responsibility on to someone else. Um, I, can t I can speak from experience that human rights commissions, uh, through their boards of inquiry, you know, they, they call that a separate body. That's not us. It's another, it's mm -hmm. another government body. Mm -hmm. Nonsense. It's all the same government enacting the same legislation. Mm -hmm. human, uh, the Human Rights Commission appoints the potential adjudicators to the boards of inquiry. It's a pretty direct relationship. And, um, but to say that, that, you know, we don't do this, the board does this, and it's not a fine, uh, the legislation allows, and, and I'm using the word literally here, it allows the, the, the Board of Inquiry to award anything, quote, anything. When I represented uh, uh, landlord Elijah Ilyev here at the, in, the, in, in the infamous Cheyenne Ave apartment case, um, I'll tell you, the commission was going after everything from uh, anti-racism classes to forcing the landlord to spend $300,000 to put double-glazed windows on the building to paying exorbitant fines to sending his kids to anti-racism classes to providing services in his building for any ethnic minority language tenant that happens to be living there in their language. It's not even French or English. Um, and on and on and on and on it goes that that to say that you know all the things he said even to the point of saying that oh no we don't censor freedom of speech well that's exactly what they did with the mayor and the, the whole technical argument of even the mayor being considered a service provider when it comes to to making you know official proclamations that's utterly nonsense they're just going on whim 
This is not a service. A service is something that has to be provided to all people equally, consistently, and at a price. There's no exchange going on here. It's not like a landlord or a businessman or an employer. I mean, this is just... Uh, well, wait a minute. Uh, now, if, I, if, I, uh, if you're stopped at the side of the road and you've got a flat tire and I stop and change your tire, I've performed a service for you, even if I don't want any money, even if no money change hands, I, I've performed a service. Well, I don't understand your point. You haven't performed well, a no, service. Well, you, you just you just said well, it, in the sense you said it wasn't a service because no money had changed. Well, in hands. a social sense, yes, you did, but in an economic or legal sense, which is what we're talking about, uh, there's no service being provided. What is the service? Can I go down there and ask for a proclamation for anything I want? No. You can ask for it. Well, but I'm not going to get it. Uh, I would suggest that under the f the previous rules, if it was deemed to have some generalized interest or even specific interest within the community for someone beyond Bob Metz, you probably would have. Yeah, got but it. that's my point. It didn't have. A, I didn't have a right to it. Someone else had to determine whether or not I would be approved for that particular okay. proclamation. So, so you just didn't buy so what he said. It's then. A, absolutely not. Um, and then even worse, you know, he says what he would like to see happen at the, uh, at the commission. He said he would prefer to to move on to systemic problems and not deal with individual complaints. Well, that's absurd. And by the way, that's what the Commission's been working on for years. They started this with the uh, Cornish Commission way back in 1992 and 3, I think. And uh, that's where th that means that they are no longer concerned with individual complaints. They will operate on the on a basis of uh, statistics and quote, quotas and ratios and that if an employer doesn't have the given ratio of a given minority that exists in his community working for him, he is guilty of systemic discrimination. No ifs, ands, or buts. Well, Jeffrey, there's no ifs, ands, or buts from Bob today. Uh, how do you respond to that? Well, it's, it's interesting, actually. I recall that the first time I think Bob and I ever spoke was uh, over the Alif case, and it goes back uh, several years, that I think Bob had written a column in the paper and I had responded to it. And you called me one Saturday morning and we talked about it for a while. And uh, needless to say, I disagree with everything that he says about the Human Rights Commission and the Board of Inquiry, that uh, when he talks about the kinds of things that it can uh, order to uh, order people to do, it can't do much. It can basically find people, uh, it can make an order like that they do a proclamation. All the other things that he talked about were uh, uh, within the ambit of where most of the board's work is, and that's in trying to resolve things out of out of court, if you like, or away from the tribunal. That is that most of the work of the, of the organization is trying to get people together so that they don't end up having a sort of a win-lose um, end of the day. Uh, in the case of the mayor's uh, proclamation, uh, this business about it being a restriction on freedom of speech, right from the start, right from the very start, as far as what, everything that I've read, the, uh, the HALO folks said, we're not asking the mayor to do anything. We're asking city council to make a proclamation. Mayor didn't have to lift a finger, could simply absent herself. Uh, you know, that to me is not a, a restriction on our freedom of speech. So why did they lodge a complaint against the mayor then? Well, I guess she, because she stood right in the middle of it. She's refused to back out and say, okay, that's fine. I have a problem with this. You, the rest of you guys do whatever you want. She Bob, would Bob, not she, do that. She did put herself in there. Well, I mean. absolutely, but that's a whole separate issue. And she had a right to say what she had to say. I mean, the city of London elected her to do what the city of London wants. And, and if she's going there, you know, the idea that you have to separate your personal convictions from your public life, as Mr. Norton suggested, I think you're in the wrong business in politics if you have to do that. Just depends what your convictions uh, are. If you have convictions uh, that contravene Ontario law, then you can't 
forward the minute political well, office. You can't do that. Which law are we talking about here? Uh, you're talking about the human rights code. It, it's funny you say that again. You said you, you just sounded like Mr. Norton. You said, uh, "Oh, the commission can't do much. It can only fine people." Well, what do you think a fine is? I mean, if they're going to fine you fifty thousand bucks, that's that's not going to bother no, you. When you're, I'm just saying when you talk about double glazed windows and everything else, that has nothing to do with the human rights commission or its powers. Well, where did well, that come from? Well, then how? Where did the authority come from for them to even ask for such a thing? Well authority to ask for something. It's a free country. You can ask for whatever you want. What I'm saying is that what they do is encourage both sides to try and discuss out-of-court settlement. Uh, and they'll say, you know, you guys sit down and talk about what do oh, you want, what do you want, to try and work it out. Out-of-court settlement. What they mean by that is they, they intimidate the respondent to the point to, so that he realizes he hasn't got a chance in hell of winning before a board of inquiry or before a human rights commission, and that he better make a deal, and it usually means paying off the complainant in some way, shape, or form, no, either through services but, or through money. You know, we could talk about the Aleef case I and the bad things many, the many cases. We want to get into that. This will be a good topic. We're really into this one. But uh, to go back to the commission for an, uh, an instant, I guess, as far as I'm concerned, you know, we have these things that we have decided, our legislature has decided you shouldn't discriminate on certain bases. One of them happens to be sexual orientation. If Mike Harris tomorrow wants to repeal that law, he's perfectly free to do that. And if people are unhappy that that law exists, they should talk to him about it. But he, if he does repeal it, cannot people have then... Uh, uh, uh What's the word I want? They can appeal to the uh, Charter of Rights. I mean, he, the, Mike Harris is powerless in that case, is he not? No, Mike Harris is a Premier of Ontario. It's an Ontario Listen, law. If he doesn't like it, he can repeal it. If the, the Supreme Court of Canada says that that contravenes the Charter, that would be new law. Nobody's ever said that before. But that's that's Ontario law right now. But does it not say, either in the federal statutes, the provincial statutes, that human rights legislation supersedes any other legislation? Mr. Norton yes. indicated that this morning. That was my understanding. No, the Ontario Human Rights Code supersedes other Ontario laws. And the reason is because they say all Ontario law should uh, be consistent with should what the Human Rights Code says. That, yeah. Yeah. But, again, it's an Ontario law. It's passed by the Ontario legislature. Uh, Mike Harris can have a vote tomorrow and simply repeal it, and it's gone. And sexual orientation isn't a part of all the Human Rights Codes in, in, in Canada. There's a big debate about Alberta right now where they're talking about adding it in. Uh, but, again... That's the law of the land, for better or worse. If people don't like it, they should talk to their politicians about it. But we have a, an organization there to enforce the law and to say, if the law is broken, here's where you go. The alternative, if we didn't have the Human Rights Commission and the Board of Inquiry, would be to go to court, which is way more expensive and way worse for most people than Again, uh, the I, board. I disagree entirely. It's way worse for the for the complainant, but under uh, under a board of inquiry, the Human Rights Commission funds the complainant's whole case, and the poor respondent is left to fend for themselves. Well, it'd be a crown um, attorney otherwise in court, and the government it, pays the whole shot there, too. Uh, no, it doesn't work that way. It didn't provide Mr. Elif with any crown attorney when he had to go and fight in his, his well, appeal. He's the, without, <laughs> he's the well, defendant of the case. It would have been a crown attorney prosecuting well, him point. in court if we didn't have the, the uh, Yeah, but there was a situation where there was a gentleman who was, who was uh, used and abused through the entire process. He had to dip into his pocket and the complainants against him who didn't have two dimes to rub together. And, and, and you could make well, a case... any criminal you could, proceeding. You could make a case that perhaps they should have had assistance. But there was a guy that was hammered into the ground every time he turned Around. Oh, not at all. And he did some pretty bad things. But aside from that, what I'm saying is if we didn't have a board of inquiry, we'd have to have these laws enforced somewhere. And I'd the like place to know what bad things in the court. he did. I was going to ask that very question. I'd like to know okay. what bad things he did. Well, his defense in court, or in the, at the board, as I recall, amounted to, sure, I was extremely nasty to a bunch of Cambodian immigrants, called them pigs from the jungle and everything else, uh, forced them to live for a couple of weeks with uh, several inches of sewage in the, in the basement of their apartments. But then again, I'm nasty to everybody, so that's not discriminatory. That's absolute nonsense. I was the person who presented that defense, and that's not what we said at all. And there was never any sewage left in anyone's apartment for any period of time at all. 
Well, my, uh, my office uh, was on the other side of that game. Well, you were constantly <laughs> getting contrived complaints being filed by Susan Eagle, who, who, who put herself forward as the, quote, tenant's representative after going through a lengthy community search to find someone to file a complaint in front of Mr. Elia. Well, that's not reality. In the case, <laughs> that's not what happened. Excuse well, me, her self-stated interest in the case was to take control of Mr. Elia's buildings, which she attempted to do but failed. No. And subsequently, the new owner of the building... Uh, Mr. Peter Sergatis has found the same problems with Miss Eagle and his tenants, and she was still after him to try to take over his Listen, building. Listen, there are so many different people that you had a chance to make this argument before, none of whom bought this, including the, the uh, city um, of London. Excuse me, we won our case before the Board because of Inquiry. Of that case, they had to rename the street because of that building. Well, that, wasn't, that, was, that was the fault of the people who instigated the case, but I'm sorry, but we won our case before the Board of Inquiry. The adjudicator... Uh, Mr. Ajit John found that there was no evidence, zero evidence, to indicate that Mr. Elif had done anything in terms of discrimination. What happened later was that the Human Rights Commission uh, filed an appeal in a court of law where I couldn't uh, defend Mr. Elif because I'm not a lawyer. And he was left to fend for, fend for himself without a case. The court was not interested in the evidence. They went on the basis of precedent case law, which Mr. Elif couldn't even possibly understand. But are you saying and that you got a better a better hearing before the Human Rights Board of Inquiry than you did in front of a court? No, I got a very bad hearing, but we won. That's, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Um, I won because I'm not a lawyer and that I could call the, the whole, um, uh, you know, the credibility of the board into question, which a lawyer is not allowed to do or he but loses I don't, his standing. I don't see how you're better off if we don't have a Board of Inquiry and you go straight to a court. Because in a courtroom, you have to have evidence. In a Board of Inquiry, you don't. But you lost the court. Well, no, that was on an appeal based upon a case that was built by the Human Rights Commission. Mr. Elif was driving a truck around. He, he, he prepared nothing. He had nothing to go on. He had nothing to even argue with. All he could say was the, the facts in the case, and the judges weren't too interested in that. They spent two days discussing law. And, and well, That's what judges and, do. <laughs> well, but, but the point is, you have to look at the facts in a case. Uh, you know, it's like Mr. Elif has been accused of so many things. This is a, this is a nightmare case. This thing should be on oh, I, W5 I in 60 minutes. I agree. Uh, what well, a miscarriage of justice. He did nothing bad. So, I don't think we're going to agree about that. Here's but I guess a guy who led a majority of minority group people into his apartments, and he was vilified for it by the whole community. No, he treated them very badly. That's he did why not he was vilified. Them. But anyway, we're not, we're not going to agree about this case. But I guess fundamentally... Okay, let me, let, 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 we've got callers waiting. I want to get to that. But okay. I do want to say that I was at that building more than once. I went with you. So was I. And I saw what some of those tenants did to the building, in addition to whatever Mr. Elif may or may not have done. Some of the people in that building were tenants that I would not want as tenants, and you would not want as tenants, and Mr. Metz would not want as tenants. And the picture has been painted that the tenants were all saints, and Mr. Elif was the devil. And that is an inaccurate picture. The first part of it, you're absolutely right. Let's go to the phones. We've got Jim with us. Good morning, Jim. Hi, good morning. Yes, sir. Interesting topic. I wanted to uh, talk earlier to Mr. Norton, but I could not. Jim, uh, I invite you to my house on Friday night. You're more than welcome to come. Okay. And as you entered the building, I asked you to take your shoes off, and you say, no, I'm not going to take my shoes off, Jim. And I say to you, hey, this is my house. It's private property. You take your shoes off. Now, if the state imposes a law or a code or whatever little political speak word you want to use saying he can come in mr lash because whether he has his boots on or off that's wrong the issue in a lot of these cases is a fundamental freedom to the right to speech private property etc etc and the human exactly. rights code yeah, you're right the human rights code is based upon a collective state down system which 
which comes from the French form of government, where you're guilty before you're proven innocent. Not that I'm aware of, but, but certainly but you're right. But fundamentally, it's about freedom of, of speech. Law. It's about freedom. That's the problem, is that historically, there were a lot of problems with people accessing freedom, so we end up with human, things like human rights codes. But if there wasn't right. a problem, we wouldn't have a code. If I, don't, if, if I form a club tomorrow, we call it the club of all uglies, and only, only ugly people are allowed in, that might leave Jim Chapman out or in, I don't know. But that's our right. Well, again, I mean, but, I mean the boys, the boys the of America have the right to know room. who they want in and who they don't want, and they're a private club. They're not a government organization. Well, what you write, the first thing is, when I mean, you're talking about your living room, you're right, and the Human Rights Commission is not going to come into your living room. But if you want to talk no, about no, clubs, no, if you want to talk no, about malls, can if you I want to talk comment? about all kinds of can places... Can I add one comment, Jeff? Well, uh, let yet. me finish mine in a second, okay? No, let, let Jeff finish. No, I'm just saying, if you want to talk about private property, then you're not talking about malls, you're not talking about clubs, you're not talking about golf clubs, you're not talking about all kinds of places that people have said are the same as their living room, because they're just not the same. But if I, if I, if I, buy, if I, buy, sunny, sun, uh, if I buy Green Hills tomorrow, and I own it, I can run it the way I want to run it, as long as I don't violate the law. If you invite the public in, if it's a public facility, then it's different than if your I living room. If I charge membership dues and I say, I only want these people in, I should have that right. Well, that's where we differ. And again, fundamentally, if you think that's the exactly the same you as your living that, room, yeah. then we simply disagree. If you think Sunningdale is identical to your living room and you have the same degree of privacy there, we just disagree. That's all. What's, I mean, the, what's, what's the difference? Wait a minute. It, what's the difference? If he owns it, and if, as he says, he invites people to come to his property, but he restricts the people he wants the same way as he has the right to do with that other piece of property he owns, the home, the place where he happens to lay his, his head at night, what's the difference between the two? To me, they look an awful lot different. And this is a matter that, by the way, is no means, by no means legally clear. There are lots of lawyers and judges who agree with you that it's ex identical. You know, your, your bathroom is exactly the same as if you own a galleria, and you have all exactly the same rights to privacy in one as to the other. And what that means is that you can discriminate in any way that you want. You can do anything that you want there uh, in, in relation to anybody yes, uh, for any old reason. That discrimination that's, must that's be announced. It, has, it cannot be based on misrepresentation. You have to say in advance. If you say to the public that our doors are open to business to everyone and then, then you discriminate against someone right. of color, the, that's wrong. that person that's, has a right to sue you. Well, you may say morally that's not, that's, uh, that's not and right. And you don't need but, special uh, legally there's no difference. That. Legally, if you decide to throw somebody out of Galleria just because they're black, you know, on your analogy or in your analysis that it's private property, that'd be perfectly okay. Yeah. I just don't think that's what the law should be. But yeah. that, no, that's not what he's saying, though, because no, he's not Jeff, talking two year, about two that. Years ago, two years ago, the Legion, which is a private club, prevented the, the Sikhs from walking in with the headdress. Now, whether that's right, right or wrong, I'm not going to debate that issue. The, the fundamental issue here is the fact that it was a private club, and they can set the rules as they want. But do now, you say that now, the Legion now, should be any different than your bathroom? Your, your pardon me? Your, should, should the Legion be treated any differently than your bedroom or your bathroom? Do you have any greater uh, privacy right in your bedroom, for instance, than you would in a Legion? Are they different at all? Hey, if I, if I own that building and I, was, uh, I own that club, I can set the rules as I want to set them. And as you pointed yeah, okay. out, a, a lot of people agree with Jim on this one, too. Uh, no, right. no, no, let me ask you this question, Jeff. The same day that issue happened, and I'm a member of William Gardner's newsletter, he said this issue here is an issue of fundamental private property. I would have loved to have taken the CBC and 100 cameramen to the Sikh temple. You know what the Sikh temple makes you do? Makes you take your hat and your shoes off before you go in. Yeah, so... Isn't that interesting? What do you what mean is so? It? What do you mean so? Without I mean, any it's okay for okay. them, but okay, not Jim, okay, for the okay. All right. These are these are fundamental right. freedoms. File a complaint. Okay. What, what, without any without any comment on the Sikh religion, because he's just using it. I'm as, just as using that as an example. Yeah. yeah. What is the difference? I mean, why should they be able to put restraints on you at that end of the equation, 
but say you can't put restraints on us at the other end of the But equation. I'm not hearing anybody say that a government has sanctioned that and said that's the law. Oh, come, you're on, saying is, come on, there was such a big hullabaloo about it. I'm just you telling know, you, what I'm just, I do? let me finish. That if you're saying that the Legion wouldn't let you in if you were wearing a headdress, and the Sikhs won't let you in if you're if you're wearing a headdress, uh, but the court, uh, you know, has dealt with the Legion case and hasn't got around to dealing with the Sikh case, I'd say, well, somebody got to better get around to dealing with it. So you're saying that, that Friday Friday night, I don't know whether you're married or single, Jeff, but your wife installed some new carpet Friday night. And no, Jim, I don't want to go down because we're, we're no, example no, but, but after we, we disagree no, about. I, but I think I think you've made the no, you've made I think you've made the point. With all I understand respect. your point. I just disagree. Yeah, oh. I, I I don't think we're going to get any farther. No, Fair enough. Thanks. Bye -bye. Okay, thanks, Jim. And uh, we have uh, Fernando with us. Good morning, Fernando. Yes. Good morning, gentlemen. Yes, Turn sir. up the heat. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's I wanted here. to uh, I wanted to ask um, what can the Human Rights Commission do to compel somebody to follow whatever decisions they make? I don't know. They, they issue orders. You, you, you know, it's it's called a finding. Okay. It's not called a fine. Remember, but how do they enforce them if you don't do it? Okay, so Mr. Ilyas, he didn't. He had to change windows. Well, he never did because he lost the buildings, but the new owner He was did. never asked to either. Um, no, he never. He, he was never asked to in the final. We, we won against that particular request. Okay, so what happens if they found something against Mr. Elias and he just didn't do it? Well, that's a good question. Um, he hasn't paid the fine yet, so right, I'm waiting so, to see what's going to happen. So what happens to um, Mayor Haskett if she, if she didn't pay the fine? That's what I would recommend she and, not and do. And not, <laughs> not declare whatever day. I, like, I, I don't know the answer, but I suspect there's some kind of an enforcement mechanism. For most well, kinds of boards, there's a mechanism where they can file them as an order of the court, and then they can enforce them in the same way that a court can. So then I, I don't know that. For well, ultimately, you're going to end up in jail with a fine if you refuse to go along with them. Again, this is part of the doublespeak that you get from the Human Rights Commission representatives that, oh, no, we don't do the fine. No, they just do a finding, and then they pass it on, and if you don't comply, then it goes to the next level of the court. So eventually, so eventually if you, you don't get to court... Yeah. And I can end up in jail. Exactly. Right. Well, you know, listening to the double speak this morning just made me irritated beyond control. Oh, it was. I thought I thought we do we live in a free country, and if I did own the Galleria, and if I didn't want somebody in there, I and, and I owned it, I could kick anybody out, and it doesn't matter if he's black or white or green. Well, it's a great country to be rich in. Then you can keep people that you don't like if they're black, white, green, uh, whatever, for but no you know, reason at all. You can keep them if you're rich. If it's your own property. Then you have the right to do that. Don't but we if have property but, rights? But if, you, but if you're opening it to the public, isn't this the difference? If you own the gallery, and I th the, the, the example of the Green Hills, I think, is a good one. A situation where you buy Green Hills and it is by invitation only. It is a club and there are restrictions on who can join. It's your club, you own the property. Uh, I think you can make a case that you should have that right. I, on the other hand, and I may, I may find myself on the other side of the fence from Bob on this one, uh, a place like the Galleria, where you open your doors for public business and say, come on in public, except you Jews. I, I, I don't think you should. I don't think that is fair. I don't think that is proper. But don't we have... No, it's not proper. Don't we have the tacit right to control... Um, access to our property to whomever we want? Well, it depends how you define property. Again, the property is a very arbitrary legal concept. It's something that somebody thought up a long time ago because they wanted to, to have a house in a particular Excuse place. Excuse me. That's <laughs> a, unbelievable you would say that, as a, as a, particularly as a lawyer who's supposed to be delving into property rights and understanding... Well, I'm just telling on. you that it's arbitrary, that's it's all. It's not arbitrary. Well, it it's was not handed down by the gods to us. No, don't we have pro like Don't we have, like, property rights? Well, it depends, how, again, how, if you've got property. If you're saying if you own real estate, you should keep people off. And by the way, with Green Hills, for instance, there are restrictions there that there's a bar that you can't go into if you're a woman, for instance. You know, in years past, not 
long yeah, but that would in London. It's still a case. But That's, that wouldn't stand. If somebody challenged that, it wouldn't stand against the challenge. Well, I suspect that it would, because uh, there are all kinds of lawyers that go there, and there are all kinds of women lawyers who go there who don't like it very much. Well, so we need it's lawyers still a lot. So if you've got connections and lawyers, then this system will work fine. Gee. Well, hey, you know? compare it to the alternative. And again, it's interesting that we are all talking about freedom. That's what it's all that about. That's why we have a Human Rights Commission, is because we perceive on the left freedom. that there isn't freedom if you don't have it there to protect the freedom. On the other hand, you feel that you, in order to protect freedom, you have to get rid of it. No, we, we want the same thing at no, the end what of the day. You, what you want is somebody else's property. That's what you want. I'm not aware you of know, wanting someone else's uh, property, but if I do go into a gallery and somebody throws me out because I'm Jewish, I'd be pretty upset. Well, you should be, but that's a separate issue, Jeff. The, the issue is... Human rights law. I, I'm not sure it is, and we're going we're gonna to deal with that right after this. Thanks for calling, Nando. Thank you. Good to hear from you. Bye-bye. We're going to pause for just a moment. Left, right, and center comes up again right after this. Gentlemen, uh, I, I want to, if we can, take a step back from where we've been here. Um, let us assume for a moment that there's no such thing as the Ontario Human Rights Commission. Um, and I'm going to ask each of you what you think the result of that is, but I'll start with you, Bob. Well, suppose I am an individual who has been discriminated against on grounds that are unacceptable both legally and by community standards. What do I do if there is no Human Rights Commission to which I can turn? Well, given your assumption that it's legally uh, discrimination, then you take it to court. Pretty simple. And but if it's just a moral issue, uh, it's, you know, what, then okay. you have to live well, with that, it. That's well, Jeff, question. What, 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 I'm going to put the same question to you. You, you have been insulted in this fashion that is, that is legal, legally, uh, at least you believe. Now, you believe it is. We don't know until it goes to court. You believe. Um, why do you need the Ontario Human Rights Commission when you have the courts there to deal with it? Well, you're right. And, and that's not a function of anything to do with the Human Rights uh, legislation. It's just been the trend for dealing with dispute resolution for the last 20 years, and that is that 20 years ago people recognized that the courts were getting more expensive even then and, and hard to access, so they set up all these boards and uh, commissions. We've actually got a brand new one that's just being set up right now for landlord and tenant issues, and the reason is that it's generally a lot cheaper and easier for people to go to a board than it is to go to court. Uh, and and uh, Bob's experience seems to bear that out. Um, you don't have to have a lawyer theoretically, but that's why that happens. But it may be interesting to step back a step further what, and say, you know, what if we repealed all the human rights legislation tomorrow, uh, repealed the charter, for instance, what would the world look like? How would it be different? Uh, and, and how would you redress that kind of a situation? I guess the first well, I just question think, is... I just think that people would be allowed to do their own discrimination and not be go running to the government for asking the government for permitted instances of discrimination. Somebody's going to be discriminating. That's what human brains do. They, dis it, they discriminate. And when you hear somebody like Mr. Norton talking about, oh, yeah, we have permitted discrimination, like hiring amongst your own faith. Well, that's discrimination. I can hire amongst my own faith, but I can't hire amongst anyone that I want to use reason against. But is that the complaint or, that they go too far? Like, you know, do you say that there's an appropriate level where they should protect people, but they just they, push it too far? The issue is, is this. Governments must never discriminate on the basis of all the things they tell us we shouldn't discriminate on, but they do. The minute they start making laws telling us that we can't discriminate, they start discriminating. It doesn't work the other way. The government has to be a referee, can't be a player in the game, and when they start you know, running into systemic discrimination, they're creating the problem. But are you saying it's... Human so Rights Commissions have done more to split up ethnic groups 
in any society than any other single factor I can cite. I'm trying not to rise to any of this bait, by the way, but I have a question. Oh, go ahead, Ross. <laughs> right. That is, you know, are you saying that we should have laws that say you can't discriminate, but they're not being enforced well, or are you saying we shouldn't have the laws in the first place? We should have laws that protect your right to discriminate, for heaven's sakes. And, and when you're talking about your own property, how can that hurt anybody? You know, if you choose to discriminate with or, or associate with Mr. X and Y instead of A and B, big deal. Again, you're, not you're not costing anybody their, their fundamental rights, their freedom to associate with their choice. Yeah, we talked about private property a minute ago, but aside from property, say, say in the public forum, or, do you say that there should be any laws to say you can't, do, you can't treat people differently well, there's for a, an arbitrary there's reason? Either private or should they or just government. get rid of the laws? There's either private or government. There, there's, there's no in-between. Everything is private or government. And as I've already said, government should not be allowed to discriminate. Therefore, the government-owned roads, they can't discriminate. But they have any role in preventing discrimination, I guess. How can you prevent discrimination? How can you prevent someone from choosing someone on whatever basis they well, may, you can create may or may a, not you like? You can create a climate in which dis discrimination is, shall we say, exposed as the counterproductive force, which it often but not always is. Well, all that does is disguise the true nature of, dis of discrimination. If people are discriminating against Jews, blacks, Asians, or whatever, uh, and it becomes illegal to do so, then they will continue to discriminate against Jews, blacks, Asians, and whatever, but they won't say that that's the reason they're discriminating. I don't think and they do as much as they used to, though. has to do something even worse. It has to assume that any time one of these minor groups is being discriminated against, that it is because of their race, color, or creed. And that is what you're seeing in the country today. That's why we're called such a racist society, because the government has, is, is racist. We have a racist government that enacts racist well, legislation. Who calls us a racist society? We're not racist compared to what we were 100 years ago or even 50 years Usually ago. Usually the racists are calling us racist society. You know, I mean, it's... it's you're it's, a racist in this people, society if you would disagree with someone else, and it, it just it gets to be about that simple. You're a racist on this show. in Canada if you don't believe in, in official multiculturalism. You're a racist in Canada if you don't believe in official bilingualism. You're a racist in Canada if you believe that minority groups should be held equal before and under the law just like anyone else. But again, you're saying they've gone to go too by far. The same rules. Uh, like you're saying they've gone to the point of discriminating, that if they well, stopped where they stopped no, it, no where they got rid of discrimination, that would be good. But no, you're saying they pushed it too far. You can't get rid of discrimination. Why do you want to get rid of discrimination? That's bad. Well, Why? I, listen, what do you if you're do talking, when you, you get up, up in the, the morning? Dictionary don't definition you of discriminating and deciding whether to put on blue socks or black socks. Fine, of course. That well, that's discrimination. discriminating. Well, I also, but I think that there's a common definition that people have come to appreciate and say, okay, these are the kinds of things that we, 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 we mean when we talk about discrimination. We mean the bad things, like saying, we're not going to let you have a job because you're Jewish. When Bora Alaskan was uh, first called to the bar, uh, he wasn't allowed to, uh, to work at U of T as a professor because he was Jewish, just because he was Jewish. Well, and I think people have said that's not good. Isn't to a certain extent, are we going to put on the semantics here, are we talking less about discrimination, more about prejudice, about prejudging people on the basis of visible characteristics? I mean, isn't that, we, we use the word discrimination a lot, but as Bob points out, we all discriminate every day. It's part of the, the, the fundamental functions of the human brain. Yeah, pre prejudice is a, is a fundamental thing that everyone has. It saves time. You can prejudge somebody and not have to think about it, you know? But should we not, should we not be attempting as a society to, to point out continually and to reinforce the idea that prejudice, when it is when it is unbased, when it is simply shorthand because we're too lazy to find out the facts, that that's a negative, not only for individuals, but for, for society as a whole. To me, as long as you live in a free society and you acknowledge that everyone has the same rights that you do, prejudice cannot even become an issue. Uh, it can only become an issue and turn into racism and sexism and all that stuff when you have some agency of force getting in, into the debate and supporting one side or the other. In well, a society, well, in the what, what is one of our basic freedoms? Freedom to associate. 
And if I choose not to associate with someone, that's the fundamental nature of that freedom. Now, you may morally disagree with me. I may be a complete pig. I might be a slob. I might be terrible about the choices I make. But let me tell you, when you get a government trying to tell me what choices I should make, you lose your freedom too. But are you and saying that's always I, I, the issue I understand that it this. When you're talking to. about being a pig and all that, do you agree that you would be a pig if you say that I just don't want to deal with black people? Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's in that a case, then, issue. is it something that you, as a as but a I person have in our society, should try and do anything about? And if so, what do you do? You don't do you, you can't you don't go around hitting other people on the head and but saying do you do be anything? like me. Yeah, you practice what you preach and you leave it at that. That's the only way you can do. You set an example. And I'll tell you, when you see people with class and people who know how to behave besides somebody who's boorish or whatever else, I don't care what race, color, or creed they are, you, you, they earn your respect. There's just no two ways about it. And, you know, in my life, color and creed and race and all that has never, ever been an issue. I mean, I've had two black brother-in-laws, never even thought of them as being a different color. And we would sit around, you know, watching TV and talk about issues of race and stuff as though it was not even... Uh, we didn't even notice that there was a difference between us. It's, yeah, okay, as me, it should be, but fundamentally, though, you're saying that you shouldn't be treating black people differently. You're saying the way you deal with that is by living your own life, uh, you know, in that way. But is that enough? Is that going to fix the problem? Uh, can you fix the problem, problem, though? Can you fix well, should the problem? you try? Well, we'll let you cogitate on that for a moment, folks, and uh, talk of the town. Yeah, we'll talk of the town. And left, right, and center. We'll continue after this. But let, let's come back, if we will, to uh, uh, this whole issue of, uh, because I think this is a, a really interesting from a philosophical point of view, too. Bob, your contention is that we don't need any external mechanisms. Stop me where I'm wrong, but we don't need any external mechanisms to control what we are referring to today as discrimination or prejudice. Um, no external mechanisms of force. That's the key. I, I believe in persuasion. And, and again, if one is unsuccessful in persuading one to one's belief, that, that's what distinguishes a free society from a totalitarian one, is that in that case, those two individuals are free to go their own way and still practice their beliefs without conflicting with now, each some, other. Some, someone would and make the case, and I'm not making it but I, uh, personally, but I'm going to ask you this. Well, y what if you extend that then to criminal behavior? Some, you know, I'm going to try to convince you not to steal my television set, but I fail in my, in, I'm not able to well, convince you. Well, a criminal act is a criminal act and it's not an act of discrimination it's an act of theft and by the way what occurs in that case stealing your tv set is the very fundamental we're talking about it's a violation of a property right which is a, the job of government to protect you know jeff asked earlier like you know, on, in in the sense of private property what's the difference between a bedroom or a kitchen and a business or a club well from the property owner's point of view it is the purpose to which he has chosen to put that property that's what the difference is, and it's only a subtle thing, but from the point of who has a right to it, and who has a right to say what, what it's going to be used for, and who has a right to dispose of it, or sell it, or buy it, or do whatever he wants with it, that's the same. Did you just agree that it was different? Only, only, to the, only to the purpose to which the property owner, exercising his right that no government may infringe upon, puts that use to. I agree. The same rule, the same rule holds to government property. You know, we're constantly given this public fiction that there's such a thing as public property. There is no such thing. The streets out, outside this station and all around the city of London are owned by a corporation. They're owned by the Corporation of the City of London, and that's the official name of it, and that's mm -hmm. who owns those streets. And the Corporation of the City of London determines to what use those streets will be put. Do you think you own the street, folks? Go and try to try to sell a share. Try to sell a yeah. share, or set up a cot and sleep <laughs> out there in right. the summer. Then you'll find <laughs> out how, how 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 great a fiction anything that says public property really is. There's no such thing. If you own something, the the meaning of the word ownership means that you can buy it, sell it, lease it, 
uh, trade it. If, if you don't have those those particular qualities about a particular piece of property, you have no ownership rights. Okay, whatever. let's go come back to square one if we can. Given, uh, Bob, you, you, the, the points you've made today, um, I'm going to ask you to work with me for a second. Let's assume for a second that, that because of the imperfections inherent in the human condition that the kind of society you're describing doesn't work. Is there a, is there a slight step towards where Jeff is coming from on this. Show that, me that where a free society has never worked. Show me where a free society has never well, worked. I can't, because I'm not aware that, that we've had a whole lot of Well, them. okay, show me where the greater the degree of freedom you've had worse conditions. I, I've never run into it. I still want people to send me examples. I guess, I guess uh, uh, you know, one of the examples pe people might ask you about is if we look south of the border to our friends south of the border who pride themselves on, on great amounts of freedom, and I think you could make a case that at various times in the history of the Republic they have been as free or more free than any other uh, society on the face of the earth. They are, still, they are being rendered asunder by these very kinds of problems that we're talking about in spite of this wonderful freedom that they've had. Those problems emanated by a fault in their structure early in their history, which was a non-free state, particularly with blacks. They, they weren't forced blacks were not, Blacks were not free. No, but they weren't, the I states. think Jeff's got a good point. They weren't for, they, they, you could exercise your free will then, and many people exercised their free will not to own them. That's true. But nevertheless, it was legally permissible to do so if you chose to at the time. And of course, anybody who understands the nature of individual rights has to acknowledge that all human beings are individuals, and that to treat some of them again differently than others, which is what they did with slavery, is the same act in, in principle that we're asking our human rights commission to the, do today. And yet the greater problem south of the border today, you, you talk to people who are following that very carefully, the greater problem is not the black problem, it's the problem in south, southwestern United States with the Mexicans, with the, with the Latin Americans well, who are they, coming They're in. having a lot of problems, you want to know why? Because they're doing the same stupid things we're doing. They're having all, the, all these official languages, they're teaching first languages in, in, in Spanish, and, and I think there's 160 first languages being taught in the States. That's a formula for destruction, for disunity, for, for p putting people out of the realm of possibility for opportunity. Because unless you know English, and unless you know the main trading language, and unless you're dealing with a, with a standard that all people can, can work with, even from different cultures, that's one of the things that stabilized India for so long. There were so many factions when the British originally mm -hmm. uh, occupied India that, that, that basically English became the official language because it was the only thing that mm -hmm. could unite them. Mm -hmm. If it was one of the other the languages, States, they'd be victims. It's not the fact that people are trying to to ameliorate the treatment of Mexicans that's a problem with the Mexicans. It's the way they're treated in the first place. And again, it's not government that comes in and passes human rights law before people start discriminating. They do it after. No, but I think in, in fairness, we, and I don't want to get off on the track on that because that's maybe a topic for another day. I think that's a precursor of a problems that, are, that we're going to see in Canada in the future too. One of the problems though is you do have this, this, this assertion of rights and one of the rights that was very contentious down there was the rights of illegal immigrants to have free medical care. Now, on one hand, on a humanitarian point of view, you look at it and say, well, yeah, if they're sick, you should look after them. On the other hand, I think you can make a very strong case is these people are here illegally. They snuck in. They're not allowed to be here. If we found out who they were, we're going to send them home. They have no real legal right to be here. Why should they have a legal right to access our system, our health system, and, that and we pay for? And the problem with being a rich country next to a poor country is you can have all the human rights you want internally. you just got to keep everybody else out. But why is <laughs> that can't poor say country it's based poor? On humanity. It's why based on citizenship. You just accept that the poor country is poor. The poor country is poor 
poor for reasons, and generally they're reasons of state intervention, state control, state meddling well, in people's Mexico, lives. Mexico is a, is a country of huge disparities. There's all kinds of extremely well, wealthy people there. It's not a communist like country. It's a, it's a capitalist country. But it's not bereft, it's not of, it's not bereft, of, it's not bereft of natural resources. They have lots of natural resources. They have a moderately skilled workforce that's growing in skill every day. I agree. If I, you walk I down the street, you don't dare take a taxi. No, no. Get robbed. But I agree with Bob. I think you could you very plainly in Mexico, and it might be one of the most, the plainest examples in modern history is a government as a country that has been subverted by its own government. Oh no, Mexico's had problems for a long time. And Mexico was a country that had a sophisticated European. Uh, 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 what do you call them? Nobility, I guess. And it's still, like 200 but it's, years but it ago. still does. That's well, exactly. been the problem. It's the nobility that's the problem. It's not the government. Well, the, go the government is the nobility. Yeah, the <laughs> nobility of the government, by definition. I mean, in, in Mexico, it sure is. You can't is. get away from that. It's always well, the, the guy who has the power like right wingers. <laughs> Can't argue that with you. I think he got us moment only momentarily, Bob. But I think he got us momentarily. Well, the issue the issue in in Mexico, like going back to your problem with you know how do you deal with all the illegal immigrants and what's the proper moral response? There are so many issues. You do have to go back to the more primary ones. Why are all these people escaping from Mexico, trying to get into the states where they know they run the risk of of those conditions that we think are so deplorable? Obviously, they must be worse. On the other side of the border. Well, sure, the nobility takes all kinds of money. The, the, listen, there are a lot of extremely rich people in Mexico. People think of it as a third world country, everybody's poor. It's like there's a extremely wealthy people well, there that's as always well. the case in countries. There were extremely wealthy people in the Soviet Union, too. And the problem is they got their wealth by using force, not by using trade and consent in their relationship. They didn't walk out with machine guns and rob all the peasants. No, they, they passed laws. They had human <laughs> rights commissions. They passed laws that said you couldn't trade here, you couldn't what, do you that, know, you had to charge wait a minute, No, wait, wait a minute, yeah. wait a minute, Jeffrey, you're not right. That's, that's incorrect. They did rob the peasants at the point of a gun. I would say They robbed them of their property, they robbed them of their land, they robbed them of the produce of their efforts. They used the, the system that they created, the system of commerce that they created, and that's, that's fundamentally the problem. For me, what it comes back to, though, is this question of whether persuasion is sufficient. If there are things that you say are wrong, like, for instance, treating people differently because they're black it's not enough sometimes to say i'm going to lead a good life and i'm going to try and persuade other people not to lead a bad life well, for me i have this boy scout syndrome where i have to get involved if there's a bully picking on a, on a little kid i have to get involved i can't sit back and just talk to the bully and I'm yet, gonna and get yet in, the, but you're crossing you're talking about again two people exerting force on each other physical force which is not persuasion you want to stop the physical force i would agree with that but when you say that you know if you can't persuade someone, there should be some other mechanism. Well, that's like me saying, well, if I can't persuade you to my way of thinking, I should have some mechanism behind me, which will end up being a gun somewhere, either a government gun or a politician's gun or an army's gun, that you, to force you to agree with We've me. That's the whole... I have to insist that you drive on the right side of the road. If you're not willing to be persuaded, then somebody's going to do something about it. Yes, because the collision between our cars will exert a force upon us that will kill <laughs> one of us, and that's a, that's a reason to... On uh, that, uh, on that uh, note of crunching metal, we'll be right back. Well, that just about wraps it up for today. My thanks to Robert Metz and Jeff Schlemmer for joining us. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. Particularly lively today. And I must tell you, folks, that when the mics are off, uh, they're still talking to each other. So those of you who are worried <laughs> that uh, they'd be battling on only way down the hallway, it's not happening. Uh, Jeff and Bob will be back next Wednesday with uh, another look at life from two differing, often differing perspectives. We'll be back tomorrow. We've got a lady on from the Ontario Lottery Corporation. What's going on there? Uh, plus, it's toe-to-toe -to -toe with Don Kelly and Jim Chapman. She tells me she's going to put me back in my place this week after I uh, sinned her last week. I hope she's listening. Uh, join us, please, for uh, Bob and Jeff and Ryan and Don. It's Jim Chapman saying, please take care of each other, mind how you go, and we will see you tomorrow for the next edition of Talk of the Town. Bye-bye.